My name is Jen Buchholz. I'm a forensics and criminal justice professor at American Military University, an Army veteran, and a criminal investigator for my local sheriff's department. I'm George Jarrett. I'm an investigative journalist and award-winning true crime author. Together, George and I are the lead investigators for AMU's cold case investigative team. This season, we're working to break the case for the family of Linda Malcolm. This podcast contains details and descriptions of actual homicide victims and their injuries, including sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Break the Case. Everything around here is black. Up this wall is black. Like something was thrown on something, then lit on fire. I tend to think, since that's a room she's found in, at least part of their target of the fire would probably be that bedroom. And at least two of the windows that we were looking at in the photos, we could tell they're blown out, right? Frame and everything is gone out of that window, so that tells you it was blown out of there. So looking at what I seen there and going by what the report was, that there was fire already coming out the front door, it tells me that probably whoever left there left out the front door and left it open. I think they were trying to cover up any evidence that they could have potentially left that would lead back to them, you know, hairs, fingerprints, other DNA type stuff. If you don't kick up a fuss and if you don't keep asking questions and calling your investigator and talking to the media, nothing happens. Trust me, nothing is happening in your loved one's investigation. April 30th, 2023 marked the 15-year anniversary of Linda's murder. To commemorate that unfortunate milestone, but also to further our investigation into her case, George and I and four of Linda's sisters traveled to Port Orchard for a long weekend. Our first scheduled meetings with the Port Orchard Police Department. We were given directions to a large conference room and arrived at a meeting finding seven people, not including me and George, in attendance. We'd known that the department had asked for assistance from at least one outside agency, but we were pleasantly surprised to find out that they've compiled a team of top-notch investigators from several agencies. Much of the content of our 90-minute meeting is confidential, but the biggest update that we can reveal is that the FBI and state-level attorney general's office now have investigators on the Port Orchard Police Department's team, helping them with the renewed investigation into Linda's case. Suffice it to say, Linda has the best possible team working on her case now. Immediately following our meeting, the detective and police chief met with Linda's siblings. After that, we had an interview scheduled with Elijah Meyer of the Port Orchard Independent, a local area news magazine. He met us at our hotel room and the following audio captures parts of that conversation. All right, Uh, if everyone around is ready to go, I'm ready to go. We wanna highlight why this case was chosen, what what impact it has on the community, because obviously this was a big person back in the day, 2008 that a lot of people still know yes. and are still wanting to know the answers. For sure. they, they want closure on the case. All right, so uh, going live here in the room, talking to Jennifer Buchholz and George Jared on their newest podcast case. Mm-hmm. You guys had a lot of cases to 
analyze, dive into, choose which one you were going to cover. And out of all of the cases that you looked at, why did Port Orchard catch your eye? Okay, so we had 70, 75 cases. One thing that we do is we, we create a rudimentary criteria, and part of the criteria is, okay, first, is a case solvable? Do we feel like that there's a possibility to be solved? Because unfortunately, there are many cases that are not solvable. And so when we looked at Linda's case, the first thing we thought is, okay, we feel like it's solvable. We thought there were a lot of behavioral analytical traits about this crime that we could study and analyze and that we could flesh out. And a lot of local law enforcement agencies, especially small ones, they don't always have the resources to do that type of work. And we have the expertise and we have the time and we're willing to do it. Jen, I think it's fair to say this is kind of a calling for us. In a yeah. Way. I've been a longtime journalist. I've covered many murder cases across the United States. And I see the same pattern every time. You have a family. They have no clue how to react. They don't know how to deal with the media. They don't know how to deal with the police. They don't know how to ask questions because they've never dealt with this before, but they're dealing with it now. And so that was the second part. Mm -hmm. Now, is there anything unique about this case that popped out to you guys? This is a very unique case. Mm -hmm. And unique usually means personal. And yeah. right off the bat, we knew that the killer took way more steps than they needed to, to take Linda's life. And that indicates personal relationship, which ups the solvability rate. But it also gives our team an advantage because we can bring in certain experts to help the police department. Because we operate off the assumption we're not getting the case file. And we have not gotten the case file, and that's fine. We kind of actually prefer to just start fresh and do our own thing, uninfluenced, unbiased. But we need something to bring to the table, right? So in this case, we've been able to bring Jeff, a knife expert, and Alan, an arson expert, and we're working on a couple others possibly to help the PD with that type of analysis that they never had before. And by doing that analysis, it reveals new clues. Why is it so important to bring in a knife expert, bring in a fire expert, to talk about the specific details when the suspect hasn't been nailed yet? Like you because don't know those details might lead us to the suspect. For instance, our fire expert, he was able to determine that the fire was actually set in a different part of the house. See, typically what you would expect is that when they set the fire, it's going to be on the person because they're trying to hide evidence on the person. And so you would douse the person with the accelerant. You'd set them on fire. That's typical. This is atypical because the fire was set in another part of the house. We'll see. We think. We're pretty sure, but we're not 100%. We're not 100%. Let me, let me catch you with that. And even when you're dealing with an expert, they weren't sitting there watching the fire being set or the knife expert didn't sit there and watch the stabbing happening. So there's no way they can know for sure, but they have an expertise in that area and it's an educated hypothesis. And Jennifer and I also have expertises too. Jennifer was a counterintelligence agent in the U.S. Army for years, so mm -hmm. she's worked in uh, counterintelligence. She's very seasoned in interviewing people to extract information from them. I'm an investigative journalist, so I've been doing this my whole life. Mm -hmm. and I've interviewed people, you know, every kind of subject matter you can imagine. So we bring all these tools to bear. And Jen, I mean, this case has not just the fire element, but the stabbing is unique too. But also the level of overkill. Mm -hmm. She has four lethal wounds. So any one of those would have probably killed her without immediate medical attention. I, I am curious, because this was a brutal, brutal murder. Mm -hmm. Don't know how long she suffered, don't know how quickly she may have went. Is it easier to solve cases 
like this, even if they're cold, when there's more attacking being done? From our point of view, yes, because there's more to analyze and there's more behaviors that the killer exhibited that give us clues. So it's super unfortunate, and I hate re-traumatizing a victim's family talking about this, but we explained in the beginning we have to work through this process and these details in order to do what we do best. Just for context of the interview, as I talk more specifically, we're surrounded right now by members of that family. Mm -hmm. How hard was it for some of them to kind of dig this case back up into their memory box after 15 years? My name's Cindy Booker. I got a phone call from my son, Mm -hmm. Michael, who's in Colorado, Mm -hmm. and he called me and said he goes college. Yeah, where I teach. (laughs) She teaches. He says, Mom, I'll let you know what I did. And I said, what did you do? (laughs) There was a flyer about uh, a cold case some investigations. Mm -hmm. He said, I put Linda's name in there just to see if maybe we could maybe restart this up again. He said, I'm going to ask you what you think. I said, Mike, go ahead and do that for me. Mm -hmm. And then when he did that, I thought, okay. What did that mean for you and the rest of the when he did that, I think it's just let's do this and get get closure. I think about her all the time. I she up there, what happened? He said, "Why don't you let him try?" So then he calls back. Guess what, Mom? They took Linda's case. He says, "It's not going to cost you anything." I said, "Are you sure?" He goes, "No, they're going to do it for our family." I said, "And that's up to you." And you, you talk to him. We all agree. Let him take the case. It just makes you want to cry. <laughs> So let's talk about this. You've been to Port Orchard already once. You've talked to several experts. You've hinted already during the interview with a couple of pieces of information that you guys have picked up, namely the fire possibly being set in a different part of the house. You guys mentioned in the podcast it being maybe a hasty way to cover up blood evidence, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. Without really spoiling too much of your podcast, I mean, what else have you guys found out in this case. (laughs) We've got a lot of information today. Uh, (laughs) Probably one of the key things, they do have forensic evidence from the scene. Mm -hmm. And they do have physical evidence, not just forensic stuff. There were other items collected and they got a grant and they are having some of that stuff retested with new technology. And so that's probably the biggest revelation so far. Now you guys rely a lot on collaboration with police forces, coroner's offices, things of that we try, nature. Yeah. <laughs> what, what has that relationship been like since you've taken on this case? The meeting we had today with them was extremely positive. Yeah. Yeah. I was shocked by the level of cooperation that they're willing to exhibit, and it's much appreciated. Yes. I want people to know, and I, if you call them, they may say, we don't have any comment about it right now because we talked to the chief about it, but they did want this out. They are actively working leads in this case this afternoon. Yes. Yeah. It is happening right now. Mm-hmm. And they've brought in at least three investigators from outside agencies. So they've got an actual team. So no. we were extremely When we walked pleased. in the door and there was, I, I was like, I thought we were going to meet like with the, the lead detective and maybe the police chief mm-hmm. and somebody from the prosecutor's office. We knew somebody would be there. That's right. So we, yeah. And we walked in there and there was a conference table and it was surrounded with people and there were like two chairs left at the end of it. And do you guys do you guys often find the prior cases where you have people that just straight up won't talk to somebody? Hundred percent, all the time. Why, why is that? I always wonder. They just don't trust law enforcement. They don't want to 
deal with it. They're, it's also small-town politics where they think they might get set up for something yeah. if they go talk to a police officer, whatever. It's distrust. And some people just don't want to get involved, which I don't understand. And there like, is a lot of <laughs> stuff that's dug up if we go back to the victim in Linda Malcolm. Mm-hmm. You note in the podcast, you have to look at who that person was, and yes. that means digging up good stuff also means digging up some stuff that you maybe didn't want to know in the first place and we had that conversation too the very first conversation it's like people are going to say things about your loved one but we will defend her don't worry we don't tolerate that one thing that we are able to do that the police can't if a police officer wants to talk to you there are rules and Mm -hmm. conditions for him to talk to you okay at some point, he even has to Mirandize you if he feels like you're about yeah. to say something incriminating. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, Jennifer and I, we can go out and talk to people in a way that they can't. And then we can funnel that information to them, essentially. So we supplement them, if that makes sense. You talked about you guys have a decent amount of evidence that could be mm-hmm. used towards a future suspect. Yes. What are the steps that need to be taken in the coming days, in the coming weeks? Well, the forensic aspect is obviously on the police department. We don't have any control over that. We told them if you run out of grant money or you can't find the right expert, we'll help you get that Mm -hmm. so you can get the right testing done. But we never touch evidence. That's just not something civilians can do. But for us, it's just building this source network, especially in a local area, because once you get eyes and ears all over town, especially if the killer still lives in the area, I mean, something's going to boil to the surface. Yeah, and you guys have talked about going to an event. You're seeing more of the victim's friends. Yes. How important is it yeah. to keep those connections so close, especially during the reactivation of a case yeah. like this? Very. So tomorrow's Saturday, and we're going to do a presentation at the library, which we like to do for each local area of a case, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. So the people have a better understanding of our team and our methodology and how we came together and, and what we bring to the table. But then we are having a meet and greet later in the day at the Golden Grill so that people who we've interacted with on the Facebook group, but we haven't actually met, they can come meet us. It's just like a casual get together, basically. Mm. Um, But it's nice to make those connections because as humans know, like if you meet somebody in person, you're more likely to stay connected than just communicating over the internet or whatever. So we always like to host an event like that. And it's also very critical too, because Jennifer and I always say this, And it's so true. We believe that anybody who commits a heinous crime like this, they talk. They have told somebody. Mm -hmm. And so we have to create a net so large that we capture that person or persons. And it's not always that a killer makes a full confession to somebody. It's usually not. It's usually a slip or they get drunk and they slip up or they just talk about the case too much or they might have said something that was never publicly revealed Mm -hmm. and someone picks up on that. And so, yeah, one of our goals is always to find the person that heard the confession or whatever it is they heard. Mm. People just can't keep it to themselves. I'm Diana. And I think that's all coming here to say is, you know, we're not from here and it's by herself, no family. We're hoping that seeing us around town, Mm -hmm. all of us, and can make connections with people everybody we meet they say where are you from we tell them why we're here good we're here for the anniversary mm-hmm. we introduce ourselves to Cindy's sister some still yeah, remember right. what happened and other people don't but we're hoping that will make a connection some people make it more real more personal than just somebody who's been gone okay now we've met a family you know yep. maybe that'll eventually get to somebody
So are you comfortable with where you are right now in the case? Yep. Do you feel like you've brought up enough to really point yourselves in a direction? We're definitely nowhere near done, mm-hmm. but we definitely have some directions that we're pursuing and we have a lot more stuff now. <laughs> well, yeah. After meeting with police and getting their input on what they need, we have a yeah. lot more stuff to chase down. I think the fact that there are now multiple agencies involved mm-hmm. that were not involved I mean, obviously, we can't reveal everything we've done. We haven't even revealed everything we've done to the family because there's a process. And we obviously have brought some things to bear Mm -hmm. that they're taking very seriously now. I will say this, and you can directly quote me on this. Mm -hmm. We are honing in on this killer. Yeah. I feel very, very satisfied right now that the case is basically being worked as hard as a department can work it. Like With the manpower they have. With the manpower resources they have. I mean... Going and getting grants to get extra investigators to help you, I mean, that's awesome. does, that rarely happens. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is a very, very small <laughs> yeah. police department. And yeah. to have yeah. and this response come out of the department, not yeah. necessarily on just on the local level, yeah. obviously yeah. this is a shock and probably a pleasant surprise. Yes, for sure. Detective Walton, I mean, I have to give her such a shout out. She has been she fantastic is. through this process. She looks at everything we send. Mm-hmm. We don't always have that experience. And, she, no, and we, she'll usually come back and say something about it. She will know. bounce theories of the yeah. case off with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And detectives are very guarded. She is a pro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah she really is. Yeah, you can tell that. As soon as I met her, as soon as I looked in her eyes, I'm like, you know what? This is who I want on this case. I know it was a short talk you had with them, but I how- much better. I, I do feel that they're giving it everything they have. And they've added resources, and I, I, I do feel like they're working on it as, as hard as they can. And mm. I didn't feel that for a long time. I really didn't. And I spent the first 10 years bugging them on a weekly, if not daily basis. And then I finally kind of gave up because I felt like they just were trying. But I really do feel now that especially since you guys got involved, they're giving it everything they have. I really do yeah. feel they de- they're dedicated to it, and I'm going home with a much better sense of feeling like if anybody can be found through this it, it, it's going to happen and if it, if, it, if it can it will mm-hmm. my name is Michelle and we're this and we're sister this is Eddie to Jim and George and tons of tears already and I'm so thankful for these two because if it wasn't for these two we'd probably be still on the shelf to collect a test honestly and so for them to help our family where they've never been and I appreciate it really do it I think I'm very, I'm very hopeful that something's going to come out of this. And mm-hmm. um, I'll be too moving around for other people that need your help as well. As oh, sure. They will. You know, oh, yeah. Because we had to almost turn. It would never been investigated any longer if it wasn't for my nephew and these two. And I thank you for taking the time to come here and listen to us and possibly put it in the paper and hopefully let somebody remember something that they, they probably wouldn't remember unless you guys were here too show your faces and we got shirts for my sister. I have a very 100% faith in these two. I, I really hate to rat Michael out, but I think he submitted your sister's case before he even he asked you. Did. God brought them to us when Mike called me. I thought, okay, Mike, what's it gonna cost us? People don't do things for nothing. That's what I was thinking in my head. Because mm-hmm. mom, they're not gonna charge you. He said, well, you just have talked to them. I thought, okay, to be honest with you guys, I didn't think you'd be on the case. 
Really? I, I didn't even feel that we would be here. Are you talking about six months ago? Hey, Cindy, you know, there's this thing called Google search. If you would have searched us, <laughs> yeah. you would have known. <laughs> I, but I didn't do it. And I thought it'd be wrapped up and say, we can't do this anymore. There's no ends. And I'm just blessed that we're all here. And yes. even if it doesn't get solved, you guys brought Peace of mind. Peace of mind to us. You guys are here, went to the the police department. They treated us great. And I think, in my heart, I really think it's going to be soft. I think so, too. And I really feel like the extra people on the case are all because you guys are on the case. That's right. I believe that. I I believe that. I'm Sherry Lopez. I'm the oldest sister. I remember when we had to come up here and meeting with uh, Detective McKinney at the time, we were confident with him because I think he knew her more than some of the other police did. And so we felt comfortable, but when this years passed, he was no longer there. You kept getting passed on to somebody else, somebody else. And finally I called again and then had a new chief. And so when Cindy called me and I said, you're joking, you know, who does that? You know, you sit there and you watch cold case files and crime investigation, all that. It's like, yeah, right. Uh huh. So the more and more we talked, I got more excited about it. I'll be honest, I don't listen to the podcast. It's fine. Because it's hard, because if we have to get down to the real nitty-gritty, you don't want to replay it again. As an older sister, even though we weren't real close, I don't want to know the gory details fourth and fifth time again, because there shouldn't have been that many times. No. They were so angry. shouldn't have even been one. Yeah, not even one, but whoever it was Mm -hmm. was so angry with her about something that they just kept at it and I just I pray to God and I will be there the day they get that person when a crime is committed clues live within digital devices that's digital forensics learn how to process and analyze that data by earning a bachelor's of science in digital forensics from American Military University classes are online with monthly program starts Learn more about AMU's digital forensics degree by visiting amuonline.com slash forensics. The following day, Saturday, George and I gave a presentation at the Kitsap Regional Library. We invited local residents to join us to better understand our team makeup and investigative methodology. Since we were in town specifically to work on Linda's case, a good part of our presentation focused on recent updates and revelations. Linda is getting the absolute best investigation now that she could ever have. And so her family understands that it's an extremely difficult case. But at least her family can sleep better at night, and they've told us this, because now it's finally being worked. And that's what we wanted all these years, is for somebody to care about it and work it and investigated. I think everybody in here knows the story, but Linda was stabbed to death and then her house set on fire right up here on Sydney Avenue, very close to here, on April 29th or 30th. After getting her autopsy report, Jennifer, working her magic as she does, she went in and identified at least 24 stab wounds. 24 is indicative to us that Linda fought back and that this was a battle between her and her killer. So the killer was in a rage. This would be more of a textbook overkill mm-hmm. to us. Mm-hmm. Her defensive wounds are mostly are on her right hand, but you know she's got a little bit on her left. When someone's coming at you, no matter what 
if they're using their fist or a gun or whatever. Like you, you protect your face, you protect your torso. And they're not all stab wounds, they're just slashes is what Jeff calls them. Jeff, he strongly believes that Linda armed herself and that the reason that she has more defensive wounds on the right hand is because she had something in that hand that she was trying to fend off her attacker with. Jeff explained, two people have a knife, George is coming at me, I'm gonna, I want that weapon out of his hand, that's my priority first. And then taking him down would be second. So it's a very distinct possibility that she armed herself somehow. Also want to point out that the wound on the right side of her head is blunt force trauma, not a slash or a stab wound. So either something hit her head or her head was thrown into something. It did not fracture her skull, but it is a pretty significant tear of the skin there. So these are just pictures of the inside of the house. We brought in our arson expert, Alan Haskins. Alan, he has uh, over 30 years of teaching. He was a fire chief for many years in a town, actually not too far from where I live, and uh, he teaches at a fire science academy. He helps run it, and um, he's been called in as an expert witness with insurance fires and things like that. So he knows what he's talking about. So he analyzed this for us, and he did a really, really good job. He's also very good on analyzing injuries and stuff, yes. too, because he's been to so many scenes with human victims. And he's revealed some things to us about Linda's case that are very unique. Yeah. He's partnering with the local police department. He's going to sign a non-disclosure agreement with them so he can view the rest of the fire documents from the fire marshal and then talk to the fire marshal here locally. And anything that they discuss can't be put out publicly until we're allowed to. One main finding that Alan found, and it's very unusual, the fire was likely set away from Linda's body. Typically, when you're in an arson situation and there's a dead body, you would throw the accelerant onto the body because you're trying to destroy evidence on or around the body. That didn't happen in this case, according to Alan. Right. His analysis. He says that the fire was started in another part of the house and it just, it was happenstance that it got to Linda's room. Yesterday we met with the Port Orchard Police Department. We're not revealing much of that meeting, but what I want to reassure everybody of is that Linda's case is open and extremely, extremely active. They are dedicating a lot of time and resources to her case. They even got a grant mm -hmm. for money, for advanced testing, for additional investigators to come on board and everything. So Linda, we feel, has the best team mm -hmm. she could ever have working her case right now. Jennifer and I, when we came out of that meeting, I told her, I said, I feel really good about this. I, yeah. I think that this is the best possible effort. Technology has advanced so yes, much so in 15 yeah. years, and that's something that they're utilizing yes, to right. their benefit. So wherever Linda's killer is, just know that your fire didn't accomplish your well, and <laughs> goal, also, because it did not destroy everything in that house. And one thing that was on the previous slide that we didn't talk about, there is evidence in this case. Oh, yeah. So the killer out there, just know this, you left evidence, and it will be vetted. Linda's killer should probably be a little bit worried right now and be thinking about how to get their ducks in a row. In any case like this, we know that the killer has talked to someone. Yeah. And we've got to capture that person or persons. If we can find them and we can funnel them to the police, we can maybe solve this case. So do you suspect the person is still alive? We have a list of, I'd say, a good four solid candidates, maybe five right now. Uh, okay. We've narrowed it down quite a bit. I'm not going to be shocked if it's any of these, mm -hmm. just because 
there's some interesting aspects to each one of them. We can see a path with each of them. Wow. But we told police yesterday, because they asked us, like, So who's on your list, you know, and we're not naming names publicly, obviously, but we're like, this is a unique case because usually we have like one, maybe two that we're pretty much honed in on within a few months. We hosted a public meet and greet Saturday evening at the Golden Grill on the Bay, one of Linda's favorite hangouts. George and I and Linda's sisters had a great time meeting some of Linda's close friends and other local residents who have been active in our Facebook group. Later, we all met up in my hotel room and were reminded that sometimes, you have to put the seriousness aside and take some time to laugh. Did you find the dentures? What do you mean you got No, we didn't find the dentures. She's actually missing. Yes. Well, she was all the way here in the driveway. Oh, I thought you said she found them somewhere. No. no. Do you know how hard it was to call the bar and say, Tip Chip by And when you're our age. Really? Well, it makes for a great story. I didn't even get it. I didn't know she had dentures. Just on the bottom half. Not her teeth here, but she had them in the back. In the back. But she was oh. trying to eat. I, she, I probably lost some in the food. I said, how did would you, you know you lost it? teeth? I said, <laughs> you bite from the front, right? Well, so did she me. get a hold of the bar? And, we, well, she I apologize. She just sounded that really bad. I was like, excuse <laughs> me. Did you find any dentures there or that? <laughs> and this guy says, some, <laughs> the, okay. young, the young kid, the kid that was there at the end, he says, some what? And I said, <laughs> back tinctures. Back tinctures. <laughs> He's talking to the bartender. He said, did you find any tinctures on a plate with those four ladies? <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. It's he not funny, it's funny, but it's really funny. It really is funny. No, I am actually trying not to laugh about it. I'm just going to laugh because you have to find I, humor in I some can, things. Here we are, three old people out there, and they're all going, <laughs> Call Jen and see she's still there, so she can ask anybody. Oh, that's right. We did what I'm going to go back up there tomorrow to get the poster and stuff, so yeah, yeah, I'll right. double check. And I'll mail them. Okay, so this trip is a little more expensive than I. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't gonna laugh. He wasn't gonna laugh, Diane. I've been trying to avoid fun. No, I'm trying not to laugh. <laughs> oh, shut up! You gotta laugh. I just said we gotta find humor in something. You gotta laugh. You gotta We're gonna yeah, open that bottle when Linda's came. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. All right. Sounds and good. We will be yeah. here. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we will, too. We'll stay longer, too. Yeah. It might be yeah. a little bit. Although hey. this room's not too hey. bad. Hey, hey, hey. I brought you know else? Everybody will keep track of their teeth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Listeners will be relieved to know that Diana did locate her dentures in her denture container on her hotel bathroom sink. Every hour of our weekend was packed with events, meetings, and knocking on doors. George had to leave town before me, but I was able to get some feedback from Linda's sisters on their last day in town as we got lunch. So I'm here with four of Linda's sisters and it is Sunday, April 30th. And unfortunately, it's been 15 years today since somebody took Linda's life. And we're here in Port Orchard to commemorate the 15 year anniversary, but also we spent a lot of time this weekend working to raise awareness for Linda's case. We met with police. And so I want to hear 
you guys' thoughts on how the weekend went, and I want to hear how you feel about how Linda's case is being handled now. So, Cindy, how are you feeling today after being here for the last couple of days? I feel that it's coming together, and I know this case now, my heart is going to get closed sooner than I thought it was. So we had a great time visiting, talking to people, visiting with George and Jen gave us a lot of confidence. So, yeah, I feel great. Okay. I'm Sherry, and I have to agree with Cindy. I think we're all confident, and I just have a feeling that this year is going to be the final ending of it. So my mom can get closure. Yes. And be able to rest in peace for the last few months of her life, whatever she has left, so we can give her some joy a little bit. But I'm confident in where we're going now. I'm very confident and so appreciative that Jen and George got into this and thankful to my nephew, Michael. Yes. <laughs> finding them and being able to connect with them. I understand that this is really hard to talk about. And I'm sorry that we have to drag you through this trauma again. But please understand that, like... No, I know. Your memories, your insight is so, so helpful to us. Rochelle, what do you think? Hi, I'm my younger sister, and I'm, I'm very confident that this will be solved. I'm glad that I could actually put faces to names. The meet and greet came out really well. Um, we went to some places where we didn't hang out a lot, which made us feel good and really closer to her, even though she's no longer here. I have a feeling that this is gonna be solved this year. And I'm looking forward to seeing who has done this to my sister. And I'm looking forward to seeing them in court, putting my face in their face, and letting them know how we feel about what they've done to our family and their dear friends. So I appreciate you all spending the time, the time and effort that you all have done. So thank you. Something I forgot to mention earlier is that when a killer takes someone's life, they don't realize it's not just one person's life that they're taking. Like you guys are secondary victims to this horrific crime. It literally changed all of your lives for the worse in many ways. We're hoping that obviously through this process, there's some positive things that come out of it. I mean, just us meeting to me is very positive, but I hate the reason behind why we came together. But you know, for those out there who think it's fine to take someone else's life, you don't just take one life. You change many, many people's lives when you do something like this. Diana, what are your thoughts? Well, after spending 10 years hounding the Fort Orchard Police Department and finally having no faith in giving up. I honestly thought we would probably never find out. And I feel like God finally sent you and George to my to get to us. And I felt after meeting with the police department the other day, I feel confident now that they are really trying to work on it hard. Whatever it takes, I don't care. I just feel confident now that it's moving forward. I feel more hope now than I've ever felt since we found out. So I'm so thankful to you and George and to all your crowdsourcing and everything and all these great people that we have met yeah. that are helpful. It's just, it's been a godsend and we are so thankful. I appreciate it. It's always our pleasure to help. And as you see, we have some skills that we are able to bring to the table and I know that we can move this case. The case has already moved forward significantly in the last five months. So going back to Cindy and Sherry, what was your feeling after talking with the detective and police chief the other day? I really liked her and with her stance and the way she looked you directly in the eye. She's on that case and she's gonna work it. 
That's how I felt about her. God bless her coming to the table. It was nice to put a face to name, because talking to Chief Brown the times they called me, his stature was not what I expected. And so it really made me feel comfortable. And her, I, I don't know what I was thinking of her, and I, but I'm amazed. I'm so happy. She's so forthright that I think, God, please don't take her off. Please don't take her off, because I think we're going to get somewhere. They're very confident, both of them are. Yes. And I have confidence in them that they're going to turn around. And I'm like the rest of my sisters. The day they that person's here, we'll be right oh, back yes. here again. Oh, yes. <laughs> we'll be right back yeah. again. <laughs> but yes, I'm confident. Linda's killer is probably listening to this. So what do you want to say to them? You know what? We find you. You will see my face and you rot in hell. I want you to rot in jail. And I hope that when you die there, you die the most horrible death as my sister did. I just want you to let you know that you took all the sparkle out of her eyes and hers as well. She had a lot to accomplish. Um, she she was just a lot of fun, and it's too bad that you didn't see her the way we've seen her. Um, we had no right to do what she did to her or anyone else. No one deserves that. And um, I hope that you spend your time in prison. I hope they don't execute you. I hope you get to spend the rest of your life in prison. I don't want you to get off easy, that's for sure. You've gotten off too long. You've gotten to live your life for 15 years. Yeah, How do you yeah. think Linda and this family feels? I believe in a life for life, but... That would be too easy for you. I'd rather you get life for that parole. What you did to Linda was unthinkable and unforgivable. Just know that you might have got by for 15 years, but you're not getting away. I think George said it best the other day when we were talking to the reporter. He said, we are honing in on you. Yes. And we absolutely are. I miss my sister every day. Yeah. I miss her a lot. It seems like it was like yesterday to me. It's like post-traumatic stress disorder. It is. It's hard to talk about to this day for any of us, even though it's been so long. Um, but I, I feel like you've gotten away for so long living your own life. And hopefully, every time you shut your eyes, really live what you've done. Do you think that you're confident right now that you got away with something? But I guarantee you, they're honing in on you. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. George and I felt the trip had been overall very positive and successful. The Port Orchard Police Department informed us that they'd applied for and received a grant to submit evidence from the crime scene for testing with new technology. That testing is currently underway, and we will provide an update as soon as we are permitted to. In the meantime, we continue to pursue new leads and grow our source network. There is a lot of working going on both by our team and law enforcement officials assigned to Linda's case. Much of it is sensitive in nature, however, and cannot be revealed publicly at this time. We will release more podcast episodes on Linda's case, but we may have to take a short break so we can give law enforcement officials the time they need to process the evidence, follow new leads, and re-interview certain people, among other things. George and I have been invited to speak at events in the near future, and we will be featuring Linda's case at those events to continue raising awareness and let her killer know this. You made a very selfish decision to end Linda Malcolm's life, a wonderful human being who was loved by so many, her case now has the most extensive and experienced team working on it, and we will do everything in our power to identify you and bring you to justice. This podcast is brought to you by American Military University. 
Narrated and produced by Jen Buchholz with co-host and investigative journalist George Jared. Senior producers Leishan Kranick, Andy Crow, and Kristen Kretzler with support from Lisa Tannis. Sound engineering and editing by Harvest Creative Services. Subscribe to Break the Case on iHeartRadio, Google, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.